Welcome, friends. We're back, and this is Women's Bible Study, where we gather to study the Word of God, where you and I come uh, to learn more about who He is, to dive in to the holiness of His Word, and to be in community, to do that with other people. So we are studying the book of John this season, so we're diving into chapter 16. Uh, we've already been through chapters 1 through 15, and we're going to finish out the book of John. So whether you're just starting with us, this is your first time, awesome. There's no bad place to start reading the Bible. Uh, we're going to journey with Jesus to the cross. So welcome, welcome. My name is Coley. We're excited that you're here. And one of the things we do in women's Bible study is every week we take an offering. It helps us pay for books, childcare, tech, all the things. Uh, we appreciate just your generosity in that. So now we get to dive into the Word of God today, which is so fun. Um, so those of you that are just journeying with us now, uh, we were just in week, John 15 was our last session, and we talked about how Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And he says, if you remain in me, I will remain in you, abide in me. And we talked about what it means to live trusting Jesus, not letting go of him, like branches hanging in there when it gets hard. Jesus is on the road to the cross. And so what we're reading now is he is trying to prepare his disciples for what's coming up. And they have no idea. Jesus has said it, he's mentioned it, but no one in human history has ever gone to the cross for humanity, died, and then resurrected. So they, we, can, we can have compassion on them that they don't really understand what he's talking about. So these final teachings of Jesus are to prep the disciples for what's to come. So that's what we're diving into right now. Uh, John 6 16, one through six. Uh, I'm going to read it for us. This is Jesus' words. Jesus says, I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when the, their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Okay, so I want, us to, I want us to take a snapshot here. If you'll remember, Jesus called 12 men to follow him. When he was anointed with the Holy Spirit, he started his ministry, and he called these men one by one to follow him. And these men who said yes to following Jesus, they gave up everything. They left their jobs. Matthew was a tax collector. Many of them were Labor Day fishermen. They left their nets. They left their families, and they followed Jesus. They gave up everything everything to be with him. And so they've, they've walked with Jesus for three years. They've lived with Jesus. They've breathed with Jesus. They've seen him do miracles. They've heard his teaching. They've seen him love the unlovable. They have given their life to this man at this point. And he's telling them, I'm going to go away. And so you can imagine the sorrow that's filling their minds right now. The questioning, the wondering, Am I, why did I, I'm giving, I gave up everything to follow you and, and now you're going to leave? What's going to happen to me? Where are we going to go? What, what's going to be our life? Who's going to protect us? We're, they're filled with sorrow, and Jesus knows that. Jesus understands where they're at. He sees them and their pain. Has God ever asked you to trust him and follow him, and all of a sudden it looks like the bottom just dropped out? God, what, what's going to happen? I, I lost my job. My husband and I are on the brink. Our, my kids walked away from Jesus. I'm following you. What now? 
that's where these disciples are sitting. They don't understand. I gave up everything to follow you, and now you're telling me that you're going away? And what Jesus is trying to do is, I think in this passage, what we're going to see is there's three truths that Jesus is trying to ground the disciples in. And the first truth is, is that there is a mission, the mission. You see, Jesus knows what's going to happen when he goes away. He knows that his disciples are going to be lost and scared. And so he says, I have said all these things to you to keep from falling away. He's warning them. They will put you out of the synagogue. They're going to kick you out because of who I am. They will, there are people that will think that they're doing a service to God if they kill you. Jesus is warning them and he's telling them there is a mission that's bigger than you. I came and I invited you to follow me because I am the way and the truth and the life. And when I go to the Father, it's you that are going to go into all the earth and tell my story. This harkens back to the Great Commission, therefore going to all the earth, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit, the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Jesus is bringing them back to the mission. He's saying, do not fall away. Don't let your circumstances determine if you believe in me or not, if it's comfortable, if it's fun, if you don't like it. Know the truth that I came to give you life, that I came to die for you. And when I leave, I need you to go forth with the mission. My question to us today is, do you know the mission? Do you know what Jesus has created you for? Do you know that he's called you to be a voice piece, to be a witness, to testify? You see, the thing is about life and about our humanity is there are so many other missions we can get distracted by. And some of these are really, really good missions. Loving your husband, raising kids, serving in the community, taking care of your family members, those are beautiful missions. But Jesus says, I don't want you to forget the mission. Your mission is to follow me and to make me known to the end of the earth. You see, Jesus is instilling purpose in them. He's saying, I created you with a purpose. I called you specifically by name that you would follow after me and carry on the mission. Do you know your mission? If you were to write out a mission statement for your life, can you clearly define, if I were to look through your calendar, if I were to look through how you spend your time, where you prioritize, do you know that you were made to be on mission with Jesus first and foremost? Above the job, above the career, above the rearing of kids, Jesus has placed you where you are to follow him in that exact spot. Jesus is the mission. And so he's telling his disciples, I have plans for you. I have hopes for you. You're going to be afraid. You're going to want to fall away. How many of us have fallen away from the things that God has planned for us, created for us, hoped for us, called for us. Jesus is, this is his closing goodbye to them. And he's saying, there is a mission. There's a mission to follow me and to remain in me. And I wonder what it would look like for you and I today to remain in the mission of Christ, to trust him when the circumstances are hard, to bear into his word when we're lost and we don't know where we're going, to walk in faith when nothing else makes sense. That's what Jesus is commissioning his men to do. He's saying, don't fall away. I don't know, some of you in here might not be believers and maybe you're exploring who Jesus is, but for those of you who know who Jesus is, do you remember when you first encountered him? 
Do you remember when you first understood the gospel that Jesus had died to set you free? I remember I was 12 years old and I remember feeling super broken. I was in middle school. I was depressed. There was bullying. I felt insecure about how I looked, all the things. And I remember encountering Jesus and realizing that he had taken my sins on himself so that I did not have to pay the penalty. And I was reconciled to God, that he chose in his love to save me and that that was my core identity. I remember as a 12-year-old who was seeking for love and security and belonging in all the wrong places and not finding it, remember realizing Jesus loves me. Like that's who he says I am. And he forgives my sin. He forgives my past. He forgives my anger towards my parents and my mean words towards friends. He forgives me and I am, I'm made new in his love. Jesus is saying, remember when you first met me, what it felt like to realize that your past was gone that you were made new. He said, that's the way I want you to live every day because I am forgiving your sins and making you new every single day. Do you know the mission? Jesus invites us into mission with him to make his name known and to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. That's the first point we see today. Uh, carrying on John 16, seven through five, Jesus says this, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are yet to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the first thing we see is there is a mission, and the second thing we see is there is a helper the helper. Now imagine being one of Jesus' disciples and he's saying, it's better that I go away. How many of you have ever lost somebody you loved? The disciples, I think, the, I think most of us in the room have experienced that kind of grief. Here's Jesus saying, you're going to lose me, I'm going to leave, but it's actually better for you that I leave. If I don't leave, the Holy Spirit can't come. It's like a tag team. Jesus goes up to heaven, tags the Holy Spirit and says, you're it. And Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live and dwell on anybody who would receive Jesus Christ. You see, there is a mission, but we need the helper. We cannot do this mission on our own. And I think sometimes in the church, uh, we can miss this part. Some of us, I know I was raised in a very strong Lutheran church that was like, you do this, you do this, you do this. It was a lot of what felt like works. Works with good intentions, but it was like, Coley, you have to make the right decisions. You have to go to church every week. You have to serve in this. And Jesus is saying, you can't do my mission without my helper. If you don't receive the Holy Spirit, then it's not going to work. We got no game plan here because what I'm calling you to do can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you're trying on your own power, your own measure, if you're trying to prove yourself to God of, oh, I can do it on my own, he's saying, and that's not going to work. I've given you the Spirit because the Spirit will guide you into all truth. The Spirit knows the best thing for you. The Spirit knows what to do in that situation where you don't know what to do. 
that thing that feels like it's falling apart and you can't hold it all, the Holy Spirit is the one that guides us in what to do in that circumstance. The Holy Spirit is who empowers us to love others, to minister to others, to do what Jesus commands us to do. I found in a commentary, I was reading a list of what we can do without the Holy Spirit and we can do with the Holy Spirit and can't do without the Holy Spirit. So I want to read it to you because I think it's, we'll stick with the left column first. It says, without the Holy Spirit, you can, you can love people who are like you. You don't need the Holy Spirit to do that. Without the Holy Spirit, you can still give an hour and a half a week to sit in a church service. Without the Holy Spirit, you can attend Bible study or life group. Without the Holy Spirit, you can put money in the offering plate. Without the Holy Spirit, you can talk about the gospel. Without the Holy Spirit, you can be polite without getting involved in others' burdens. What I would call good Christianese. You can act right. This doesn't take the Holy Spirit for us to do. But this is what we can't do without the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, you can't, you can't love someone who is antagonistic to you and your family. You can't do it. Some, all of you are thinking of someone in your head right now. They're like, yeah, she is hard to love. He is hard to love. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, we can't love people who are against us, who attack us, who hurt us. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus loving through you and not you loving in your own willpower. Without the Holy Spirit, you can't be on call 24-7 for a person in need. It's just too much. You got other things to do. You got to sleep. You got to eat. You you have your own priorities. Without the Holy Spirit, you can't give your hard-earned money when little is left. It's hard to be generous without trust, without the Holy Spirit saying, I'm going to take care of you. There is a need. Give what you have to it. Without the Holy Spirit, you can't plead with your unbelieving friends and neighbors to repent and believe in Jesus. That's a Holy Spirit conviction. The Satan just wants us to settle in and be like, well, I don't know, I'll do them. I don't know. And the Holy Spirit says, no, I love this person. I want them to know Jesus. I want them to have hope. I want my loved ones to be in heaven with me. I want them to know their sins are forgiven so they stop carrying that backpack of shame everywhere they go. And without the Holy Spirit, you can't move your family around the world for the sake of the gospel. This is why we need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us fulfill the mission that God gives us. And so I wonder today, how are you and the Holy Spirit doing in partnership? How are you doing at relying on the Holy Spirit to fulfill what only he can fulfill in you? And we talked about this this Easter Sunday. This really comes down to this issue of control and surrender. When we try to control our lives and do what's comfortable for us and what fits for us and what works with us, we can often exclude the Holy Spirit because we want to we wanna be in charge. But when we invite the Holy Spirit to partner with us and say, okay, God, I trust you. What do you want to do with my life? He will bring you further than you could ever go by yourself. The Holy Spirit will do things through you that you could never, as talented and beautiful and wonderful as you are, could, you couldn't do on your own. The Holy Spirit gives us a power that we don't have. And Jesus is trying to equip the disciples. He's saying, hey, I know you're going to be sad. I know you're going to grieve, but it's better that I'm up there and my Holy Spirit is in you because you're going to get a personal compass, a personal guide. The Spirit's going to lead you into all truth. He's going to empower you to do what you need to accomplish the mission. Friends, we cannot do the mission of Jesus alone. We cannot do it on our own strength. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. So what would it look like for you today to surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit and say, come, help me. That truth, I want it. I need your guidance. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. I have fallen away. I've gotten way off the mission. I'm on my own personal mission. I want to be on the mission of Jesus. Holy Spirit, help me get back on track. The Holy Spirit is our helper. We need God's power for God's mission. 
All right, to carry on, John 16, 20 through 28 says, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, sorrow, sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also will you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask in the Father, of the Father in my name, he will give to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech, and the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. So the third thing we see, we see that there's a mission and that there's a helper. And the third thing we see is that there is joy. The joy. The joy everlasting joy, joy that is not of this world. You see, the enemy wants to lie to us and say that when we surrender, when we live on mission for Jesus, we have to sacrifice, it's gonna be costly. Yes, the Holy Spirit helps us, but it's gonna be miserable, (laughs) right? You know exactly what I'm talking about. When you hear these things in church and you're like, oh, I guess it'll be the worst ever, but I'll go to the service or whatever it is. Right, because the enemy wants you to think that there's no joy in serving the Lord. It's just all suffering and torture and payment, right? That's not who our God is. That's not who our God is. God gives us inexplicable joy, joy that cannot be recreated, cannot be earned, cannot be found in anything apart from Jesus. I want, I want to give you a snapshot. I want to give you a snapshot of this in the book of Acts. So you'll remember that when Jesus is about to go to the cross, all the disciples freak out. They have a mini meltdown and they go into hiding because they're human and they're scared. And Peter denies Jesus three times. He says, I didn't know him, I didn't know him, because they're scared. They're living out of the flesh. They have not received the power of the Holy Spirit yet and they can't do the mission. You and I, without the Holy Spirit, we are, we're pretty powerless. We're pretty fearful creatures. And so we see that in the disciples. They're all scared, they go into hiding. Well then, Jesus says, wait in the upper room until I send the Holy Spirit. And they wait and everything changes. I want you to see these same disciples that were hiding, now they have the helper inside of them. And this is what happens. It's a small snapshot, Acts 5, 40 through 42. Uh, His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. That's a 180 difference, my friends, from men who are hiding scared in a room, hoping not to get found, to men who are flogged and beaten and come out rejoicing. That is the joy of the Lord. That's something we can't explain. That's something that doesn't exist in this world. That is something from Jesus Christ alone, a gift to his children, that when we are on mission with him, when we surrender to the Holy Spirit, we will have a joy that the world cannot 
touch. So there's four characteristics of this everlasting joy that I want to quickly unpack with you. The first one is that this joy, everlasting joy, is revealed in a time of sorrow. This kind of joy doesn't come out of good circumstances, doesn't come out of the promotion or the new relationship or a new house. It doesn't come out of anything external. It comes out of hard times. Uh, The Bible talks about how when a woman gives birth, that pain is excruciating, but afterwards, the pain almost vanishes because the joy of a new life. This joy can be birthed in the hardest of places. If you're waiting for your circumstances to be perfect, to experience this kind of joy, you need not wait. God wants your hardest thing, the place that you feel the most pain, that's where Jesus wants to just flip your universe and say, I can bring joy even there. Because joy is not circumstantial. Suffering can even produce joy. These disciples just got beat and they leave rejoicing, saying, I can't believe we're worthy. And they go out again and again, day after day, and they proclaim the good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ came and died for our sins and rose again. And what joy they find in telling this. I don't know if you know this, but all the apostles but one were martyred. Some of them horrible deaths. But they had the joy of the Lord in them because they were on mission and they had the Holy Spirit helping them, joy was theirs and no one could take it. So the first thing about everlasting joy is that because it's revealed in a time of sorrow. The second thing is this joy, the everlasting joy, is resistant to every single attack. Jesus makes a promise. He says, you will have joy and no one will take it from you. No one will take it from you. When our joy is in Jesus, nobody can take that. Do you realize the power of that? Think of how, how many other things that we find joy in that could be gone in a second. When we place our joy in earthly things, as good as they are, if we place them in relationships, in status, in comfort, in material wealth, in sex, in our work, in hobbies, in health, you name it, there's a bunch of things that compete for our joy. If we place our joy in any of those things, it's as good as putting a piggy bank out in the bad side of town with a huge sign that says, do not take, very valuable. <laughs> right? Life happens. When we place our joy in anything other than Jesus, it is easy in a second for it to be taken away. And all of us know the pain of losing joy of something we put our hope in. A relationship, a job, the thing that didn't work out the ice cream cone down the street. You you know what I mean. But when we place joy in other things, uh, it's just, it's temporary. It's fleeting. It's not going to last. But when we place our joy in Jesus, no one, no circumstance, nothing can take that away. That's yours to hold, to own, and to hang on to forever. In good circumstances and bad, it cannot be taken from you. The third thing we see about this kind of joy, the everlasting joy, is it's refreshed through answered prayers. His disciples were like deep reservoirs of water that Jesus says, you can ask anything in my name and it will be given to you. And now this is one of the, I think, uh, an often misquoted uh, verse of the Bible that we can ask anything. Well, why didn't I get that new Jeep Wrangler I wanted? So what I read about in this, um, this little book was that uh, it, let's, let's start by checking our prayers. And a good way to assess your own prayers is to make a list and on one, one column put my comfort And the second one, put God's kingdom, right? Try this this week. It's it's convicting. 
But some of us, we read the Bible and we think, well, I've been asking for, for the new house and for the pay raise. Why, why didn't I get any? Jesus isn't faithful. He doesn't answer me. He doesn't hear me when I cry. Jesus is saying, when you are on mission with me, when you're in alignment with me, ask in the spirit anything that's on mission for my kingdom and it will be given to you. How often do we pray prayers of comfort? And here's the thing. The Lord is our comfort. He cares about us. He's not upset that we ask these things. He knows we're human. He knows we need them. But some of us go back to the Bible and say, well, I asked in Jesus' name for that new job, and I didn't get it. I don't, I don't understand. Did I read the Bible wrong? Jesus is all about completing his mission on earth. And so Jesus says, now that I'm at the right hand of the Father, you need something on mission you come to me and you ask because I am in alignment with you. I've called you a mission. I've equipped you. And I want to answer your prayers. When you want to make the gospel known, I'm your guy. When you go out and put yourself on the ledge, when you're getting beaten for proclaiming my name, you ask me for what you need and I will be there. Are we praying prayers of comfort or God's mission? Jesus taught us to pray for the advancement of his kingdom and not the establishment of our own. The fourth thing we see about this joy is this joy is rooted in a reconciled relationship. You see, up until this point in history, nobody else but one priest a year had access to God. You see, our sin makes us fall short of the glory of God. It separates us from him because he is a perfect God. And so by definition, if anything imperfect comes into something perfect, it changes its nature. So God is perfect and holy, and we were broken in our humanity. And so nothing, nothing bridged the gap between humanity and God. So when Jesus came and he died on the cross, he bridged that gap. And because of that, our joy is complete. You and I can go to God whenever we want and ask him or talk to him about anything we want. Back in the day when the rabbis used to go in once a year, a priest was chosen to go into the holies of holies in the tabernacle where, where the presence of God was. And he had to do so many rituals, purification, fasting, cleansing. And he went in once a year. He was allowed to be in the presence of God. And if anything was done wrong, if he didn't do the ritual right, if he didn't do the cleansing right, if there was any blemish, any, if there was sin in him, anything wrong, he would be struck dead. They used to tie a rope around the priest's feet when he went in because he could, if he was unholy, unclean, and he met with a perfect God, he would be struck down. And nobody wanted to go in and die after him to get him out, so they would drag the body out. Can you imagine the fear of that? The holiness of that, the awe of that. And here Jesus comes and he said, I've died on the cross to make a way for you. He uses the word father six times in this passage. He says, you can go to the father now whenever you want. You can go in the morning, you can talk to him in the shower, you can talk to him when you're driving in your car, you can talk to him about, it. there's nothing off limits that you can talk to God about. You see, the lack of joy in the world can be traced to a lack of peace with God. And Jesus has reconciled us back to God. We have access only through Jesus Christ to the Father. And we get to call him our Father. And there is no greater joy than that. The only way to have real joy is for peace with God to be restored in us. That's the gift of this joy. Joy that we can go to the Father for anything we need because of Jesus. Where no man in human history before that ever just got that kind of access or privilege to talk to God whenever they needed. Now you and I can go and commune with him 
whenever we want, whenever we need a boost, whenever we need him to set us straight in our perspective, whenever we need comfort, whenever we need anything, you and I can run to the Father and say, hey, Dad, Abba, Father, I need this. I'm stuck. Help me, help me, help me. We get that. So I want you to identify with me today anything that might be hindering your joy, this perfect, everlasting joy. And for some of us, it might be, it might be blatant sin. Maybe there's something you're doing that you just know is wrong, but you don't really want to give up. Um, and, that, and that could be the case. Maybe God's asking you to repent, which is to turn a different direction, go a different way. That could be the case. But I think for a lot of us, it's often just misplaced priorities, we miss joy because we get that Jesus has joy, but there's so many other things that come first on the throne. It's like our families first, our careers, our well-being, our health, our physical appearance. There's so many other things that compete for his attention that we miss his actual joy. You see, when Jesus is on the throne, everything else makes sense. When he's our number one priority, everything else filters in the way that it should. But when we misplace our priorities, Jesus gets put on the sideline, and that joy isn't as accessible to us because he's not our joy anymore. He's our, he's our sideline joy. Oh, if I need a little dose later, I'll pop over here. It's when Jesus is our main priority, that everything else makes sense. I read this line that said, we eat cotton candy of the world instead of feasting on the lasting joy of Jesus. Jesus is the true meal. The last thing that Jesus says in this chapter to close is he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Friends, Jesus went to the cross for us. He overcame sin and death so that you and I could be set free and live with him. So would you bow your heads with me? I want to pray a few different prayers for us this morning. Uh, the first thing I want to pray is if you are in here and you, you've never received Jesus, you don't know him, you don't have a relationship with him, you've never t- allowed him to take the death penalty off you and onto his own body, and set you free so that you can have everlasting joy, so that you can be on mission with Jesus. I want to give you a chance to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray a prayer, and I want you to pray it with me in your heart if that's you today. And if you've already received Jesus, I encourage you to pray it with us because it's a declaration of our faith. It's a reminder of what Jesus did for us. And so the prayer is simple. It just goes, we just say, Jesus, I am a sinner. I have fallen away from your perfection, and I cannot save myself. And so, Lord, I beg you, I ask you, would you be my Savior? Would you forgive my sins? I profess with my mouth that you are Lord. And because you went to the cross and died for me and resurrected three days later, I can have new life in you. Father, I want that life. I want to be connected to the Father. I want to receive your forgiveness and your eternal love. I thank you, Jesus. You are my Lord and my God. And for those of us who know Jesus, who have walked with him, I want to pray a few different prayers. The first one is I want to pray, do you know your mission? Are you living on mission? Father, for the woman in this room that has fallen away, that has forgotten the mission you've called her to, you've invited her to, you've died on the cross to give her God, I pray you'd reestablish the mission in each heart today who feels like they're far from it, that her mission would be to love you with all of her heart, soul, and mind, and that, God, she would go into all the earth proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, for those of us who have turned to other things for help, God, 
whether good or bad, family or substances, God, when we get stuck, we need a helper, Lord. For those of us who have turned to other forms of help, we repent of that. We say, I don't want to lean on a crutch anymore, God. I want your Holy Spirit to come and lead me into all truth. I want to do the impossible, which I can't do on my own, but I can do in the power of the Holy Spirit. God, would you invade your Holy Spirit into each heart here today who needs your help, who's trying to do it on our own. God, you say, Look, child, let me come. Let me do it on your behalf. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us for the mission purposes you've given us? And last but not least, I pray for anybody in the room who is experiencing anything but joy in this season. Lord, you promise that your joy comes regardless of circumstances, Lord. So for anyone in here who does not have your joy, I pray she would lean on you and that her joy would be complete, Father. That it would be beyond external circumstances, Lord. That there would be a hope. A re- I just see a bubbling up in someone's spirit of lightness and hope and goodness and, and compassion and love regardless of your external circumstances. Even if they stay the same for the next week, for the next month, that joy is yours and no one can take it from you. So Father, would you plant joy in each of your child's heart today, God? We thank you that this joy is ours, God, that it's a gift from you and that it fuels us, God. It fuels us for whatever you call us to do and it places us in a standing where we can give praise and we can be thankful, God, regardless of the circumstances. So, Father, I bless the women in this community. Father, would you minister to them today? Would you speak to them today? And, God, as we go into groups, would you allow conversation just to flow out of your goodness and out of your word? God, will we encourage one another in the truth of who you are? And will we pray for one another, God, and commit them to you? So I thank you for this group. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your your sacrifice on the cross that paid it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.